0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Good morning. We are going to be getting into um, the book of Philippians, and we're going to do a little bit of a different service today, just because we're trying to um, scale down the sermon time. I know everyone's celebrating that, and there's also bets out there that I won't be able to do that. I know that's the, the biggest thing. Uh, it was a little alarming. Um, uh, doing uh, the Lord's Supper, um, you guys know how inside of a church sometimes little cults start up, you know, little factions and little cults start up. So I look back there and Matt, Matt's got some people just circling around. He's teaching them to do this and here we do it this way. And so we'll just keep the eye on Matt and whatever's going on there. It's really uh, the girls, it's their first time to celebrate communion. So the girls have been asking for sometimes over a year, year and a half, just wondering, when do we get to take part of the Lord's Supper? So explaining to them, um, just making sure they understand the gospel and making sure that they, that God has applied that to their heart, that they've become a believer. Um, and so I'm holding that out for them and teaching them. And so today we get to watch uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those are the two uh, different ordinances that, that Jesus Christ gave the church. And it was a, a visible picture, just like the Lord's Supper is what? His body broken, uh, and torn apart, and his blood spilled out for our sins. And that's why we do the Lord's Supper every week. We usually do it at the end of the service, but today we wanted to move that up because we have the second ordinance, baptism, which is a, a picture of a person walking. All of us, like Adam and Eve, in our sin, we think we're doing fine. God interrupts our thinking and our mind and goes, hold it, you need to be born again. You have to be Dead to your sins. And so that's that picture of Jesus dying on the cross, us uniting in his death, and then raising to new life. So that's baptism. So both of those things we we love to celebrate, and we get to do that today. So thank you for coming. Um, And again, um, it's a beautiful thing to see new lives joining with us in that. So if you want to turn to Philippians, we're going to cover today Paul's enjoyment of God and the body of Christ, a very fitting picture. And so we have the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, um, please come to me afterwards. If you need a Bible, you can always come and let me know. But we'll also have the scriptures up on the screen behind me. Um, But if you want to turn there on your phone, your device. um, Again, looking at this, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 1, this idea of Paul's enjoyment of God and the body of Christ. And so um, last week, we looked at the background and the context. Every time we enter into a new book, it's always good to understand what the circumstances were, what the culture was surrounding that church, because what's happening there is you've got a culture, a city, a community completely living without God. Uh, there's, There's temples of false gods, there's temples of other religions, and here comes God sending light into a spiritually dark place. So what was that like? Because we're in a world in this time where um, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians feel like, hey, there's a lot of lostness. Our culture is so jacked up. There's so much polarity. There's so much um, disunity, um, different um, racial strife, different political strife, different um, things going on in our world with social media. It just adds all of this tension. And yet God's going, I can be the peace in the middle of that. I can bring salvation. I can bring joy and peace and meaning and purpose to your life in the middle of horrible situations. And that's exactly what the Philippians were doing. And so we looked at uh, the, the, the ideas that Paul wrote this letter, the purpose of that. And he wanted to show gratitude for their generosity. They had sent financial support. He also wanted to update them because he's in prison when he's writing this. He writes three or four letters while he's in prison. So you talk about being at a place where you feel like you can't do any good for God, and yet we're going to see Paul is filled with joy even in the worst of scenarios, the worst of situations. And so he's updating them on his situation. He's going to warn them about the Judaizers, which the Judaizers are those people from Jerusalem that said, hey, to be a Christian, it's not just faith in Christ. Now, they were wrong about this, but what they were saying was it's not just faith in Christ. You also have to go by all of... Israel's Old Testament laws. Well, Christ come and and fulfilled all those, so we do not have to go by the Old Testament law. And that's what all of the, old, the New Testament was, was was preaching and teaching. And so the Judaizers were saying, well, yeah, you have to be saved, but you also have to go by all the rules and all the ceremonial and all the cultural um, systems that, that the Jews were going through. And so If you turn to Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, they said, no, you don't. You you don't have to go by those things. Um, It is faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And and Christ fulfilled all of that for us, so we don't have to go by all those. And so then um, he wanted to warn them that that is misleading people inside the church. And then lastly, he wanted to encourage them because there was also uh, some disunity going on in the body. Um, Two things that we're going to see that I didn't share last week. You're going to see up there um, the gospel of Christ is one thing that he's going to put forward repeatedly, but also the community in Christ. We're going to see this. This is a very intimate letter comparatively with every other letter that he had written. Um, He usually establishes his apostleship. So he starts out, hey, this is Paul, apostle, apostle Paul, close to Jesus. I have authority of Jesus. With this letter, he doesn't state his apostleship. He states actually a servant of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus. Instead of high authority and power, no, I come as a lowly servant to serve for the good of your souls. And so um, he's going to show this love there. And so as we go through, um, what if God knew what you needed for a meaningful life? What What if he placed people right in front of you to love and to find this meaning and purpose we're looking for. And we usually look right past these people that God places in front of us. And we're trying to like, I really want to serve God. I really want to go do something big for God. And God's going, yeah, they're right there. That person you can't stand that frustrates you. Maybe that family member, maybe that, that, that kid, maybe that parent, maybe that schoolmate, maybe that, those family members that, that just drive you crazy. That's it. There it is. And we can just like, no, not them. I mean, get them out of the picture, you know, move them to Michigan, and then I can serve God. And so Paul's showing us that, no, no in our circumstances, the people that God has placed right there, that's where we find um, the, this opportunity to grow and to love the body of Christ. There's a famous discipleship story. Uh, it's in several books, and I don't think they know exactly who the guy was that did this, but if you study discipleship, it pops up in different books. And so it's this guy, and he actually said, um, when I became a Christian— I had a guy kind of step into my life, and he wanted to do discipleship with me. So um, he, he wanted to meet with me and go through discipleship material with me. We went through books. Uh, he wanted to teach me how to show others um, the, the gospel and to disciple others and to show me illustrations. But after about two years, I never really knew that guy. And he never really knew me. There was information exchange So I I was, it was like an information dump and I gained some knowledge from that, but this guy never really knew me at a deep level. But then later on, a couple years later, I met a guy who was really just interested in me, just the way I was just interested, even with my flaws and failures. He was interested in me. He wasn't using me to to build himself up. We went through books and stuff together, uh, but this guy was there for me. He was in my life. He knew me. He sacrificed time for me. He loved me, and I knew it. He shared deep things about his own weaknesses and faults, and even shared intimate sin struggles that he had. That second guy taught me very much about God, but he also taught me about life and about myself, and he taught me how to love. So that's what Paul is expressing in this letter. That's what Paul had done with these Philippians, and they had become dear to him. Um, So that's what we're going to get a glimpse of this morning. So if we want to turn to Philippians 1 there, we're going to cover, uh, I was going to do 3 through 11, we can't do that much, so we're going to cover 3 through 8, but we're only actually going to cover about 3 through 5 because of our baptism service afterwards. If you look there in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment now and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Father, would you help us to learn through the Spirit how to have this type of love and affection for the people that you've placed in our life? Whether that's lost people on the outside that we can share the gospel with, that we can love, that we can disciple, whether that's people inside our own small body, whether that's people in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, the people around us. Would you allow us to have great affections for you that overflows into our great affections and love for other people, and all of that through the power of the gospel, the transforming, changing work of the gospel. We pray that the Spirit would do that in our lives. Help us to see areas where we're selfish with our time and our resources and our relationships. Help us to see where we need to be encouraged and challenged to move out, to move past awkwardness, to move past um, all kinds of different dividing lines of people, to see people... With the grace of Christ, in your name we pray, amen. So we're going to see a couple things, and again, we're we're not going to cover every bit of this, but I'm going to try to go through it pretty quickly. But the first thing you're going to see there is uh, this is entering into Paul's prayer life. We're going to cover his actual prayer for them later. today. He does that in most of his letters. He goes into a prayer in chapter one for most of those. If you slow down and recognize it, he's actually saying, here's what I'm praying for you guys. And there's a, a wealth and a depth there that's beautiful in those books. And so, his, his prayer life, um, and, and he's going to be showing us a consistent perspective. So, it's not just prayer, like a check mark, I had my quiet time today. It's a certain perspective in the middle of prayer. And what we're going to see there, it's one of gratitude and joy. Um, and those things are life changers, those things are paradigm shifters. Um, but also we're going to see what motivates him to prayer. And then we're going to quickly just barely cover uh, how he goes into, he kind of goes into a little bit of his own commentary um, about, here's what I'm praying for you, but but I love you so much. And so that's basically those uh, points there uh, under the, his intimate love for the people. So in that first, first section there, the first point there is Paul's consistent perspective in prayer. So what was that perspective? Um it's a, it's a specific type of perspective, if you notice. He says, I thank my God, and it starts with that. So that, that, that's a huge statement for the rest of the book. It's a defining statement for the rest of the book. Um, he makes it personal with that personal pronoun, my God, this expansive God. Um, I thank him. And so um, first I want us to see that, that sentence. Um, it frames the entire letter. He's speaking of this reality. God changed my life to where I used to be persecuting the church. So if you know, when his name was formerly Saul. He would go into groups like this, open up the doors, bring in soldiers, every one of you. If you've got Bibles, if you're listening to this message, everyone's going to jail. Some of you are going to be killed. Sometimes adults killed in front of their children for gathering together. That was Saul. And Saul's going, that's what we're doing. God changes his life, to, and then now he's Paul. And he, he's going, now I'm the one spreading the gospel. That was my shame, my former shame uh, of destroying the church and destroying Christ. And now I live for getting the gospel out. And so he's saying, um, first of all, I thank my God for this because he was saved. And, and you've changed me to where now Instead of persecuting the church, I love the church. And so beautiful picture there. Um, even though, remember this, he's sitting in a prison facing a death sentence. Um, in, in those days, it, it'd be in a cell at some points, but also it was house arrest. It wasn't the nice, comfortable little ankle monitor that some of you've wore, right? Um, and so um, it, it's, the, it's the one where um, this guy's chained to you, Right? a guy is chained to you. He's not a nice guy. He's like Brad's size and as strong as Brad and likes to elbow you in the face every once in a while. Uh, nope, no bathroom time. I was thinking through uh, when, when I was in high school, our, our restrooms in the, in the boys' locker room, this is probably something you should never even mention, There there was no wall. So sometimes we walk in this is and our boys are like, there's not doors on the thing. It's like, hey, we didn't have walls. There were five toilets where your legs are touching each other. Five, that was our athletic dorm. I hope it's changed by then. So bathroom time is rough and miserable with a big Brutus guard, you know, that's just going to be mean to you the whole time. And so that's what he's living in. In the middle of that, think about this. No church people to support you. No fun, right? You're not playing ping pong with this guy. Uh, no money, little food. No family, no comfort, no fulfilling work that you're into. But in this situation, he said, I thank my God for the grace that he's poured. Can you, can you imagine that, that, that paradigm shift that he's going through? Um, the word thank here is eucharisteo. Um, it's where we get our word, the Eucharist, which is the same as the Lord's Supper. So a Eucharist, what we just participated in, the Lord's Supper communion, that's, that's called the Eucharist. And so he's saying, I thank my God. And the picture there is what do we do in the Lord's Supper? What do we do in communion? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pause our thinking, pause our working, to pause and and look backwards to go, God, I see what you provided in the cross. I see what you have already provided for my salvation. And so I'm resting in that. I'm participating in this as a remembrance of what you've already done. And now for this next week coming up, the problems I face, the things I've got going on, I tend to get busy and try to fix all my own problems. I need to rest in you. And so I'm trusting in what you've already done for me, and I'm trusting in what you're going to do this next week. And that's why we do that weekly here is so we can celebrate that. And so he's saying, I thank my God in that kind of mindset. As I'm getting older, um, my own study time when I'm reading, I won't notice, I'll be reading little bitty fonts like on computers and, and screens and articles. And by the three or four o'clock, like people will just get blurry. If they're over 40 or 50 feet away, um, they're just blurry heads, you know? And so watching football games and like I can't see the numbers and stuff, so it's kind of frustrating. And so my, my vision is skewed by the end of the day because of me focusing in on tiny little details. And so what's happening with Paul here, his vision of people in the church, instead of being skewed because of the hundreds of tiny details and faults, his vision produces gratitude and thanksgiving. Do you have a skewed vision of people? Um, Do you see people through a gospel-centered lens like Paul does here? Um, Paul's saying it kind of like this. As I think about each one of you, yes, even that one, And you know that one over there that we all know about. And those two ladies we all are very aware of. And then those two grippy old men. Even those, when I think of you, all of you, I thank God. I pause and think about what God has done, and it leads to gratitude. And then he says, even joy. What if we were placed where that was the norm? You have a tendency to usually look at people um, through, the, through the gospel lens and to see, you know what they are? They are a work of God's grace in process. Now, when people look at me, I hope they know, when I do have my little fits or problems or sins, that, that they're supposed to look at me as just, man, he's a work in progress. He's not a finished work. But with, with others, we tend to, I can't believe they're supposed to be this strong of a Christian. They've been in church this long. Look, look what they're doing. Look, look how they're acting. Look what they've done. And all those things, um, Paul's saying, I'm not seeing you for all your flaws. I'm not seeing you through the lens of you're failing to meet my expectations. And let me tell you, if there's any time in the church, you've got millions upon millions of social media every day that tell you more reasons why you can't trust even people right in front of you in the church, why you can't trust institutions uh, uh, that have been longstanding of faith. If you look at our situation in the world right now, uh, we, we are purposely trying to plant a church uh, to be a church that is multi-diverse, um, that, that socioeconomic status, that is multi-diverse um, in, in both in all its classes, in its status, in its uh, racial and ethnic, but also as far as different in the way that we want to present the, the gospel to where it's not a legalistic list, but instead it is the grace of Jesus. It's the grace of Christ that we're pointing you to. And so in those things, it's very easy for us to start seeing people with just their weaknesses. You get to know someone in a group, and two or three months later, now all you see is their weaknesses. All you see is their fault, and they're categorized that way. And Paul's saying it leads him to gratitude for God, gratitude and thanksgiving for God. Um, we have a chance to be different in that. We have a chance to create an environment, a community flowing with the truth and the love and the grace of God that flows out of what God has done for us. Um, Paul's prayer there, what kind of prayer? It's a God, God-centered, gospel-centered prayer where he's focusing on what God has done and what God is doing in them. It's, it, 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 he's always praying. He says, I'm always praying for you in this. And then he says um, that it's for all of them. Those people that are difficult, those people that are different from him on all kinds of lines and all kinds of things. And again, we're in a world where um, the different political factors, people are just, just raging for everything. And we have a chance to be the people in the middle loving and being patient and gracious. Do you pray for the people just in this body consistently? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Are you praying for just the small amount of people in your life? Do you have a perspective of frustration and unmet expectation by them or one of gratitude and thanksgiving? Um, when you interact with people, are you seeing through a gospel-centered lens, seeing God's grace in their life, or are you constant listening and looking for evidences of failure and failure and failure? And you know what she's like. She just always says this. You know what he's like. He just always does this. Paul sets an example of the heart of God because God, look at the bigger picture of God looking down on each one of us. He could hammer us and kill us for our millions of sins, but instead, He's going, "No, no, no! I'm reaching down with grace, pouring out love, killing my son, slaughtering my son to offer this salvation, reconciliation with me, and a changed life." So that's what He's saying. Um, have you ever been in that type of place? Sometimes even a church where you know that people are constantly kind of watching how you're performing watching how you are acting, watching how your kids are acting. Um, they're always constantly doing that. That's church conformity. And sometimes it's the number one reason that people leave churches, um, people are measuring you. We don't want to be a place like that. We want to be a place where there is grace and truth. Jesus didn't come with just truth. He came with grace and truth. Can you see the difference between those two types of church people? One always and consistently seeing perceived flaws and weaknesses and sins, or one of thankfulness and care and enjoyment. Enjoyment, it creates two very different types of places. Um, Think through just the the, the casual thinking. You may hear these statements. I'm I'm so grateful for their friendship. I'm just so thankful that that they're, they're just a listening, caring person. That's your view of people. Versus... I remember them missing group a couple times during the summer and you know, I really thought they were more spiritual than that and I thought that they were a little bit better Christian. Two types of views, you thankful and grateful for them. Maybe you don't understand what was going on in their life with that situation. Maybe you haven't walked in their shoes even 10 seconds much less 10 miles. And so, um, same thing with, I, I'm thankful for them just bringing a meal over. When we had a hospital visit, when we had a hospital stay, and so they took care of us, and they set up meals, or well, these people brought meals, I'm just thankful and grateful for them. Or, I can't believe that they're going to allow their kids to fill in the blank. Go to that kind of school. Have a phone at that age. Play those video games. Have that app on their phone. Send their kids to a secular university. So all these things, Jamie and I are always dodging, you know, like the, the secular crowd that thinks we're crazy because we, we care about some of these values over here. And then even inside the church or even inside Christian circles being judged because, you know, you do this, your kid's hair is too long. You're, you sending your kid to a, a secular university. You're, you're allowing your kids to do this. And so it's like, it's not sin, but they just judge you for that. And you've probably experienced that also. That's two different types of environments, two different types of people, two different types of churches. And we have the chance to be a place where we've got um, all kinds of diversity in this area. That's why we have purposely wanted to be in this area because we believe the gospel says that, that, that the gospel translates love across all those lines. Democrats and Republicans, independents, black, white, um, yellow, green, Asian, American, um, Nepali. We've got a Nepali leader. We've got people from all kinds of backgrounds. And we say, the gospel says that, that love overbears all that this country is saying we should be divided on. And So we have a chance to be different than that. And so um, that's what the gospel come to do. That's what Jesus came to do. Um, so that's um, the, the gist of that, in verses 5, 6, and 7, 8 there, he mentions this, his motivation in prayer was just your partnership in the gospel with them. Look at, look at where we're sitting right now. Paul was saying, you Philippians have partnered in not only getting the gospel out, but also the gospel is growing you. So you have this equipping the saints thing, so that's what we gather for, so we can grow, we can, we can learn about Christ, we can uh, take steps in discipleship, but also we're, we're concerned about the gospel going out to others. And in that, um, he says, you sent money to me. And so that would be like our little kind of weak church that has no money, that, that we're poor, we're small. There's all these huge things. There's places, there's churches, there's big, it'd be like uh, Southern Hills, not helping us out with something, Southern Hills or this, this big, huge church over here going, no, we really can't help you, but their budget is 10 million a year. But here's this church with a budget of maybe 50,000 a year. And they go, hey, we're going to send money and we're going to send people. And that's what the Philippians did. The Philippians were the poor broken ones and they sacrificed and sent care and love and money. And that's what this letter is, is addressing there. And so um, are we a people that has, the gospel has changed our ideas of generosity, of love and our resources and, and our time. You have partnered with me in the gospel. And he says that that's a beautiful partnership. And look where we're sitting here. Usually, especially in America, Books, TV, everything can really, really build up the the great white missionary hope. I've been in mission circles and it's this idea of the Americans, which remember we're only four percent of the population. We're not fifty or eighty percent, right? Like China's like, you guys are like, you know, ten seconds of us. You know, like China's like, we got 1.4 billion people. But if you're not careful in American churches, what we do is we're like, we're the great ones going doing all this work. You know what, this is a picture of what we get a glimpse of. I had a f- 15 or 16-year-old uh, Zomi girl during the VBS tell me, she goes, you know what I love about your church? Come, I know you're a small church, you guys are kind of weak, and you're not a huge, powerful church. She goes, I think it's a little picture, a snapshot of heaven, where the Burmese are, are reaching down to us as the weak, flailing ones, going, hey, we want to partner with you right now. We know what direction you're going in. We want to sacrifice. We want to let you use our stuff instead of you being the great white hope doing that. And I'm I'm not trying to talk about if you're going, you need to read some books on missions because that's what happens sometimes. So if you're going like, oh, that's not, and that's not a political statement. That is a mission statement sometimes. If you've been around mission circles, that's what they're saying is we need to be the ones doing that. Guess what? The Burmese, South Korea, they're sending out more missionaries than, than America in a lot of areas. That's a beautiful picture. That just shows work. If you're an American-born person, you're just part of the helping grace. You're not the only helping grace. We have to have that kind of picture. And here, God plants us in this area to where we are just just a small piece that wants to get the gospel to people around us, to love people, to, to, to change the way that people think about not only the church, but about Christianity and about Jesus. Because there's people that have been burned in the church, people that have gone through legalistic upbringings where it was all about your dress and your performance and the way you acted. And there was no place for when I mess up, what do I do then? When, when there's sin, because by the way, every one of us is going to sin, where is their grace then? And so we, wanna, we have a chance to be a different type of place. So as we move to um, baptism, that's exactly what we're seeing. We want to raise these little girls up into that newness of life not an old form of Christianity of now your newnesses of life is a church conformity. You must act like this. You must do this. And, and when I say those things, everyone gets nervous like, oh, you, we have no holiness. We have no, no expectation. No, that's the given. The godliness and holiness is the given. Just don't go on adding a whole bunch of man's expectations on top of that, equaling that with the gospel. So we want to raise these girls up in the newness of life uh, of grace and truth. And compassion for others instead of, um, I'm the only one who's right. It's my way, and I'm better than others. And a self-righteousness that just should have never been there. And so that's what we have the opportunity to do. That's what we have the opportunity to raise the next generation up. So let me pray, and then I'm going to give directions. And what we're going to do, this is a very different service. We're going to walk through. Everyone's going to go right through here. We'll pull these back. We're going to go over this way. And please don't leave. We'd love everyone just to follow them quickly. And we're going to do baptism. We're going to go down this hallway over to the uh, large sanctuary over there. And they have the baptism tank. We've already got it set up and ready to go. So let me pray.